0: Good morning, Church. Good morning. Today, I'm uh, I'm here to talk about change. You know, uh, everything changes. Uh, we know that, and uh, uh, but it's sometimes something that we really struggle with. And uh, I've got three examples that I really uh, want us to just just I guess quickly focus on, and uh, to actually make the point about it. You know, and so uh, in Acts chapter six, we read about the choosing of the seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So, the Word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The reason why I use that scripture is that you know it introduces Philip Philip becomes a part of the church because he becomes a a, a minister, a servant in the church to serve the people you know? and, uh, and and I guess the the, the bible's very um, it's very simplistic sometimes in how it actually brings characters in. And, uh, and again, we'll see how that happens with uh, another person that we'll talk about later. Because in verse 8, it, it talks about Stephen who is stoned to death. And it says, "...and Saul approved of their killing him. The church persecuted and scattered. On that great day, a persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria." Now, that's a a line that we can look at and we we sometimes just read through it and we don't even really think about it. But it's an important line, which I'll come to in a minute. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then in verse 4, it goes on and talks about Philip in Samaria. So we now have this person who was called in to serve the table, and now he's been scattered and he's going into another area. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And then later on in, in chapter eight, getting to the heart of this story is uh, Philip meets an Ethiopian in verse 26 it goes on to say, "Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza." Now he is there he's on a road that leads out of Jerusalem to Gaza, and he meets a eunuch, a eunuch who is leaving." Jerusalem. This encounter, this direction, this movement away from Jerusalem is the description of, in many ways, the story of the early church. This story is written by Luke in the book of Acts, which opens with Jesus after his suffering, speaking to his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 5. And so in verse 4, you know, Jesus talks about uh, it says about Jesus eating with the disciples, and and one of the questions I always have is, you know, what? Why did Jesus eat with the disciples? Why did he need to? You know, it's probably because, you know, uh, they needed it. It was a sign of proof of him being real. You know, what do you think that might be important for them? Because again, the point I want to make about these these stories I'm telling, it's about change. You know. And Jesus has changed, the mission has changed, and he's reassuring those that he has called. He's come and he sat with them, and he's doing something simple like eating food to reassure them. Also, notice where did this happen? The Mount of Olives. Why? Because of Sinai. Everything about Israel goes back to Sinai because that is where Israel became the nation of Israel. Yeah? And because in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. That's God telling Moses yeah, that they are going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this time between Jesus and his disciple is loaded with references to Moses and the Exodus. Luke is wanting us to see that there is a new Moses, and this new Moses is leading a new Exodus. Yeah? Jesus says, going back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Remember I said before about them leaving and going out to Judea and Samaria. See, this was the call that Jesus had, but many years later, all the apostles were still in Jerusalem and a persecution comes and they start to move out. So they start to go. So, you know, they're moving out, they're going into Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yeah. You know? Being a witness in Jerusalem is probably not much of a stretch, really, eh? In your own hometown, in a place where you feel safe, it's probably not a big thing. So, but that's where they were. You know? Judea and Samaria, now that makes a thing makes things a bit more complicated because they hated each other. There was great division and animosity between these regions. Samaria being conquered and compromised racially and religiously you know and so the the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like to be together and so so going there it wasn't one of the things that the Jews wanted and this is loaded because if we look back to Acts 1 verses 6 to 7 it says then they gathered around him and asked him Lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel he said to them it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. And we read that and we can think, great, you know, about restoring the kingdom. But see, when when they're talking about the kingdom of Israel, you know, we read over that. But this is referring to the restoration of nation, of a time of David and Solomon, great wealth, and privilege that's what that's what this statement's all about this statement was about ridding their land of the romans the conquerors and even now still with jesus in their midst they are still thinking of themselves and so jesus says basically what about the ends of the earth be my witnesses okay so let's go back to philip philips in samaria and he runs into a man from ethiopia who we are told is heading home to where? Ethiopia, which is where? In Africa. For this for Philip, this was the ends of the earth. They, on a road leaving Jerusalem, we have an African asking questions about Jesus. And Philip comes to him and explains what he is reading. That is in Acts 20, 8, 27 to 35. And it made so much sense to him that he says in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, as they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, There's there's many things in this passage, guys, many things. Baptism is a picture of Exodus again, of new life again, being reborn. But there is an interesting side note, and there always is in Scripture, if we look for it. The eunuch says, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Well, lots of things really, okay? You need to look back at Scripture for this. And so sometimes there are questions asked, That we really do not see. We just read over them. But in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, the heading for that passage says, Exclusion from the assembly. It says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Very interesting, eh? So, what do you do with that? But again, let's read in another place. In Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 to 5, it says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So the thing we we can learn from this is that, you know, right back at the start in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that, you know, anybody who's a eunuch cannot come into the assembly. And then later on in Isaiah, we have this change. It's, you know, it talks about eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. Okay. So what is it? Is it you can't come in or, or what? And then we read into Acts chapter 8, and the eunuch is baptised. So they've gone from exclusion to being keeping the Sabbath to now being part of the kingdom. We have this progression. We have change. See, everything changes. Yeah? And so remember that this is very early in the life of the church. It's roughly about AD 31, okay? And it was still very much a Jewish movement and it is not until the council at Jerusalem which is in takes place in Acts chapter 15 which is about AD 48 which is 17 years later on you know that these things actually uh, are actually spoken about that things change so there are only old guidelines so question what do you do when your religion isn't big enough for God I'll repeat that. What do you do when your religion is not big enough for God? You see, if we look at the Jews and they held on to Deuteronomy, the eunuchs had no place. But we have the New Testament now where the eunuch is baptised into the kingdom of God. You see, our religion may change in the way we do things, And we need to be open to that because God is always in the business of doing new things. He's always in the business of bringing about change. More often to us, which is so important, okay? So what do you do when your system falls short? Because God is doing a new thing, a better thing, beyond what you know now, okay? See what we know now, okay, is only a taste of what we will know in the future. So if we hold on to what we know now, then we may be left behind later on. So we need to allow for change. You know, you know people say things don't change, the gospel doesn't change, whatever. Yeah, but see, we change within it. If we don't change within it, then, then, then we're in trouble. Yeah, you know? because God is always wanting to do new things. So... This is not a problem for Philip. It is the primary struggle of the early church, for many of the first followers of the way. Jesus was wrapped up in layer upon layer of Jesus of Jewish culture, sorry, Jewish culture, custom and lifestyle. So there were all these things because faith was a part of lifestyle, was a part of the village, was a part of everything. And so change was very difficult. So I want to go on to another story about Peter, who's one of the first Christians. He had an experience similar to Philip. A Roman centurion invites him to his house, a Gentile house, people who were not Jewish, by the way. You know, the religion of Peter said that this was forbidden for him to go into the house of someone who was not Jewish. And and so, you know, this was a call to do something very different, to change perspective. And God prepared him for it because on the way it says in Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 9, it it begins and says, About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Say, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. It's interesting that Peter and Philip are both led out to have these encounters. They are led to places they might have never gone. And they spoke with people that they would not have normally spoken to. Okay. And so he hasn't even got to Cornelius' house yet, but it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 23, The next day Peter started out with them. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence but Peter made him get up and stand up he said i am only a man myself while talking with him peter went inside and found a large gathering of people he said to them you are well aware that it is against our law for a jew to associate with or visit a gentile but god has shown me that i should not call anyone impure or unclean so when i was sent for i came without raising any objection now listen to this May I ask why you sent for me? I love that. I've highlighted that on my, my paper here. May I ask why you sent for me? It's interesting. Peter goes there and he's not sure why he's there. But he went to a Gentile's house you know, because he felt called to go. Even though he felt he shouldn't go there, he went. Okay, you know, So again, Peter goes out of his way to go somewhere that he's called to by God. Another story. Back in uh, Acts chapter 8, I talked about Saul. It said, Saul approved of the killing of him. That was when they stoned Stephen. On that great day, a persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, which I said before. In Acts chapter 9 verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. That's important. Okay. Remember, what does Acts chapter 1, verse 8 say? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Outward focus. So here we have someone who is very pious, very scripturally correct, very observant of the law and the prophets, and here he is going out to bring back those who are spreading the message of the way. Back to Jerusalem. Not going out, as the Lord said, to be a witness, but to bring them back. Okay, and we know the story, it goes on in verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. When, when, when you, you read this thing about he fell to the ground and heard a voice, and it goes on to talk about how the other people heard it. You know, think of Sinai. Think of Jesus' baptism, when he's baptised and he comes up out of the water, okay? And a spirit descends upon him in in, in, uh, the form of a dove, and then we hear the voice of God. We hear God. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in one, okay? And the man of transfiguration, you know? See, all of these things highlight something that we can overread, okay? Saul asks, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink a thing. Okay. Another hint too. Who else had three days in darkness with no food? Jesus. You know, the thing, when I started this very brief message, I talked about things change. Everything changes, you know. And in, in, in a, a very short amount of time, we have three stories of Philip, we have Peter, and then we have Paul, you know. All three men... Just because their names start with P, that, that that's not the point. But all three men, you know, go out, you know. And even though Paul was wanting to go out and bring people back, he was still going out. And then when he had that experience, he went out again, okay. And see, the thing is, for us as a church, we're called to be agents of change. We look around the world today and, and we see the circumstance that we're in. But see, even in this circumstance, we can still be agents of change. You know, and the thing about it is, is that, you know, like Peter, he gets to the place and he says, he doesn't even know why he's there. You know, so do we need to know why God is calling us? You know, sometimes people will come to, come to me and they'll say, Gary, I, I want a word or I want this, I want that. But the thing is, you know, God doesn't always give us that. God sends us to a place and suddenly something happens but we don't know God sent us there, really. And then we have an encounter, and then it's only after we leave that we recognise that was a God-appointed moment. That was a moment of change, not just for me, but maybe for somebody else. Yeah. So in this in this message, even though it's very short, which is not usual for me. Yeah. Sorry. The thing is, you know, what I would hope for us to grab hold of is that you know. What we have today is precious, but it's like a seed. If we don't allow it to grow, if we don't allow ourselves to go, then we won't bear any fruit. We won't do anything with it. And so the thing is, you know, how do we describe a Christian? I've probably said this before down down there with you guys. at one How do we describe a Christian? And many people talk about someone who's spirit-filled, who speaks in tongues or knows the Bible, all that sort of stuff. But see, in in Scripture, it actually tells us, you know, because, see, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. And see, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. Don't like that one, but, you know, love, joy, peace, patience and kindness, they're all good. But the thing about all of those is they're things that we do. How do we know someone's kind? Because they show kindness. How do we know someone loves us? Because they show love to us. You know, how do, we, how do we suffer someone, you know? Be my wife, that's how you do that. But how do you suffer someone, you know? You know, have long suffering, Yeah? You know? We bear each other's burdens. And so we do things outside of ourselves. And so we're all called to change all the time. Don't be stuck in the mud. You know, use this time now to find different ways to actually connect with people. Use this time now to do something about this so that when we're called out of our lockdown, we can be the people that have God who can go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So God bless you all, guys. I miss you all. I look forward to seeing you as soon as I can. You know, my love, my best wishes from me and Lorraine to all of you. Bless you. Amen.